Scripture this morning is Proverbs 18, verse 21. Hear now the word of the Lord. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat, eat its fruits. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray before we jump into that. Um, Father, I want to, uh, before we jump into this text, I do want to pray, God, we, as a church, the one thing we always want to do is, is follow you wherever you lead. We never want to go anywhere you don't want us to go. We never want to say anything you wouldn't want us to say. We are your people. This is your church. And so, God, as we think about where, where our home might be, a place to plant roots and um, have a place to gather, we want to follow you. So, Lord, lead and let us follow however you lead. And this morning, Lord, as we unpack the power of the tongue, the power of our words and our speech, um, Lord, this has been a very convicting time of study and work this week for me. Um, I know I've, I've, I've sinned in this this week, and it's been obvious. And so, Lord, I, I just pray for good, uh, for your spirit to be at work in our hearts, to make us people whose words and speech bring life to those around us. Help us in that, I ask. For the glory of Jesus, we pray and are gathered. Amen. Well, you probably know the saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's okay advice, right? Like, don't don't take what people say so seriously. Like, you know, just let some things go. That's okay. Like, it's pretty good advice, but Proverbs would say that just as as a generality, that statement is dead wrong. Words can really hurt. Words actually have an enormous amount of power. And Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Words, words have power. And this was on display uh, to me during the Chicago Marathon, which I ran a couple weeks ago. And just you know, probably for the next three months, every introduction is going to in some way refer to the marathon. One, because I've got some stories. Two, is I just want to remind you, I don't want you to forget, um, in case you might... <laughs> I forget. But no, one of the like really powerful experiences of that marathon was like people yelling out encouraging things to you. And if your name was written on the front of your shirt or your name was anywhere on your your bib or your shirt, like they would they would say your name. Like you'd hear that yelled out like Tim, look at you. You're running a marathon. Keep going. But like you look great, man. You're go- you're going to do it. And it's it's like all just encouraging words all throughout the race. Um, like to the point where I I began to wonder as I was running like like, are these, like, the failed life coaches come out and just practice, like, coaching people up? Because there's just way too many encouraging people out here. But my favorite moment of the entire marathon, uh, the, the best moment where someone singled me out, is I'm running, it was, like, mile nine, and it rained for, like, the first eight miles. The rain had let up, and I hear, I hear a guy just off in the distance. A guy yells out, bald with a beard, Yeah. And I look over, and there's a bald guy with a beard looking right at me with both hands up in the air. And I just, I was just on cloud nine from that point. I mean, we had a moment together. It was, it was powerful. Um, like, wor- words have, ha- like, that legitimately pushed me forward for, like, the next mile. Just that, that moment. And, wor- like, words have the power of life. But words also have the power of death. So the reverse of that, in, in 2005, uh, I was at campus ministry uh, in Indiana University, and a group of us took a trip down to New Orleans to uh, serve post-Hurricane Katrina, and there was a group of 15 or, or so of us that went, and, and uh, you know, there was one guy in particular, his name was Brian, and he was, 
He was super generous, super kind, but like a little goofy, a little bit off, um, just a different type of personality. And, and we, as a, like we as the guys around him, love to like just poke a little fun at him. And, and, and we, you know, in good nature, we really genuinely loved him as a friend. Like he was a, it wasn't serious. It was sarcastic. It was, it was out of love. But, but there got to a point three or four days into the trip where he just, I mean, he just snapped on us and said, I'm tired of you making fun of me. I'm tired of this. Stop. And then like just walked off. And I, like, I just remember just standing there feeling, I just wanted to die. It's like, this is truly like a, a really nice person who had never done anything mean to me. And all my joking towards him had always been like good natured and as a friend to a friend. And it, I, was actually, I was actually really hurting him. And as someone on staff too, the pastoral leader, was actually like helping other people do the same thing to him. And our words had just, had torn him down. And I, I did not sleep at all that night. I felt terrible. And that was a moment for me where I, like I just determined and I've not lived this perfectly, but one of the key values for me, not just as a Christian, but as a pastor, as like someone who, to some extent, uh, has charge of the culture of this place, I care deeply about, about words. And words giving life. And Proverbs, like, it says a lot about that. It says a lot about our speech and what we say and whether or not our words give life or give death. And so we're almost done. We've been in the series for six weeks. Last week, next week is the last week in, in this series. We've looked at, we've tried to think through what, what does a wise life look like? How do you navigate this world? And, you know, each week we probably said there's maybe no more important thing than this. And it's because it's true. Like we've talked about relationships. We've talked about money. Those are incredibly important things. And in Proverbs your mouth is an incredibly important thing. What you say is an incredibly important thing. And what I want to do this morning, how I want to break down what the Proverbs say about the tongue and our speech is, is say, you and I, we have three choices when it comes to our language that we have to make, our speech, our tongue, three choices, and two new practices I want to encourage. So three choices, two practices. That's not a five-point sermon. It's more a two-point sermon. Those will be more condensed, so don't freak out. Um, but uh, three choices. The first choice, your words will either, be, will either be rapids or a reservoir. And here's what I mean. When I uh, grew up, uh, I grew up in Indianapolis. And in Indianapolis, one of the primary sources of water is Eagle Creek Reservoir. And uh, Eagle Creek Reservoir, on the south side, uh, there's a huge dam and Interstate 74 goes from Brownsburg, the town I grew up in, um, towards Indianapolis, downtown. And it goes down, like, like uh, low. And so you're actually, you're underneath this, this dam to where if the thing ever broke, like, you'd be toast in a minute. Like, it's, thankfully, it has not broken. It was a, a well-constructed um, uh, dam. But the reality, like, if that thing ever, like, water would just come flooding out onto the road and destroy. And I never, like, that never registered with me until I realized what a reservoir is, which a reservoir is... Its water is contained. It's intentionally restrained. It's, 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 it's hemmed in. And because of that, it's able to give life to the city. It's able to give uh, nourishment to those who live around that, that area. Whitewater rapids, on the other hand, they're lots of fun, but they're also really dangerous. When water just flows unceasingly, uh, it's, that's a very dangerous um, reality. And, and in our speech, in our words, one of the common themes of Proverbs 
is that if your words are not constrained, if they're not intentional, if they're not hemmed in, but if they're more like just, you're just, they're just flowing out of your mouth at all times, like Whitewater Rapids, you're going to be in trouble. And so Proverbs 10.19 puts it like this. It says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lip is prudent. And so we have, we have a choice when it comes to our speech. Will it be an unending flow of our opinions and what we think and what's on our mind, or will it be restrained? Only, only what gives life, only what gives nourishment, only what gives what's needed. And so it's, this is a dangerous reality. And, and uh, Tony Evans, a, a well-known pastor, he wrote a book, uh, which only probably he could write, called Watch Your Mouth. Uh, it doesn't feel like I could write a book like that title, or many people could. But he has, he has this line that I've been thinking about this week. And here's, here's what he says in that book. It says, your greatest enemy is not in your home. And your greatest enemy is not on your job. Your greatest enemy is not that person at church who gets on your every last nerve. Your greatest enemy is in your own mouth. The three-inch muscle in your mouth has more power to destroy your life and to do it quickly than anything or anyone else. Right? If our speech, like, you know, like Eagle Creek Reservoir back in Indianapolis, if we just let everything out and we flood, we just let the, the words come flooding out, we can hurt people. We can harm people quickly. Destroy relationships quickly. And that's what Proverbs talks a lot about, speaking less. Speaking restrained, it's, it's why the first choice when it comes to our words, how we speak, is will we be a reservoir or will we be rapids, whitewater rapids? That's choice one. Choice two, then, um, is will our words show our attention or show our anger? And James 1.19, uh, I think is the best summary. And I think James is, is uh, it's a book in the New Testament that clearly he had read Proverbs. A lot of what he says is very, like, very much like Proverbs. And what he says, and uh, James says in 119, I think is, is a really helpful verse for us this morning when we think about our speech. Uh, he writes this. He says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And the way, the way I thought about this is I think James is sort of laying out like a, a slippery slope. That if you're if you are not if you're not quick to hear if you're if you don't pay attention to the people speaking to you if you're not really listening, that's the first problem. Because then what you're probably going to do is you're going to enter into the next problem, which is you're going to you're going to you're going to react and you're going to say what's on your mind. You're not you're not you haven't heard what the other person is saying. You're just going to react. You're going to speak. And thirdly, that's almost assuredly going to lead to to anger. It's just slow. If you but if you pay attention, you never get to anger. Right? As if you're listening to someone else who's speaking to you, if your primary concern is to hear them, you'll never get to anger. But if, if your primary concern is to speak, you're, you're going to go right to anger. And anger and speech uh, go together all through Proverbs. Probably the most well-known uh, verse, I'm going to translate this out of the message, uh, is Proverbs 15.21. It says, A gentle response diffuses anger, but a sharp tongue kindles a, temple, a temper fire. Our speech, in other words, um, creates community, creates unity, or it starts fires. 
And listen, I know, like, there's, Proverbs is not like an ironclad law. So there are t- sometimes you can give a gentle response and you'll still get anger and respect. Like, there are people that, that that's not an ironclad promise. But, but generally speaking, when you're a person who pays attention to others, who listens well to others, who has others' interests at heart, you're probably not going to end up being a person with a quick word or who gets angry or who, who lashes back. And that's a choice we have with our words is do we pay attention or do we get angry? Are we, are we in a conversation for the other or for ourselves? So choice one, rapids, reservoir. Choice two, attention or anger. Choice three, and this is, this is where we'll go pretty heavy, is, is our words can be a gift or a grave. It's so a Proverbs 18.21, the verse I read at the start of the sermon, the message, Eugene Peterson translates it like this. He says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. And that's, really, that's like the heart of this sermon is words, they give life or words give death. They're either poison, they're fruits, and it's your choice. And there's two ways in particular the Proverbs talk a lot about our words uh, being poison or killing, and that is, that's lying or gossip. And kind of the, the most famous passage around this is Proverbs 6, 19, or 16 through 19, the, the, the passage about the, there are six things the Lord hates, um, seven things he finds abominable. Well, he actually, uh, in that passage, uh, which I'm going to read, uh, he mentions lying twice and gossip once. Hear these verses, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So lying is there in verse 17, right? Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. It's also there in verse 19, God hates a false witness who breathes out lies. And lastly, gossip is the last line, one who sows discord among his brothers. And so I just want to think about that. Why, why does God hate lying and hate gossip? Like, these, this, is, like this isn't like a, you know, treat these with kid gloves. Like, God hates those things. And I think one clue, when it comes to, like, why God hates lying, it, you know, Satan uh, who is the, uh, the most evil being in the universe, whom God threw out of heaven, Satan is the father of lies, is called. He's a deceiver. That lying is, in a sense, it is, it is the opposite end of who God is, because God is truth. Right? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. God hates lying. It's the exact opposite of who he is. And that, that creates a problem, because I think in our culture, like, Lying or like embellishing or, you know, even created, we create categories, white lies or obfuscation or, you know, cover, like, uh, uh, you know, hiding the church. Like we, we create all kinds of categories. And, and so James Patterson and Peter Kim in their book, The Day America Told the Truth, their studies that showed 91% of Americans lie on a weekly basis. We embellish, we stretch, we obfuscate, all of us. And the question, why do we do that? And I can't speak for you. I just, I just pushed into that for my, like, why, why do I embellish? Why do I withhold pieces of, of the truth? Why am I tempted to that? And I think, like, one is we want to avoid consequences, right? We, want to, we don't want to face the music. I think another thing is we, uh, 
It's ultimately a self-justification process. I want to I give an image of myself to other people, and so I'm going I'm to curate some things out, and I'm going to put some things in. Or we lie to take on something that's not ours, to take praise that's not ours, an accomplishment that's not ours. But I, I, th- I think at its root, we lie because we don't like the truth about ourselves, about our world, about what's happening to us, and it's really hard to deal with God. In fact, it's more than hard. It's impossible to deal with God, not on the truth. God hates lying. He doesn't have categories of degrees of what's true and what's not. It's, he hates it. He, is, he tells the truth. He is a God of truth. So God hates lying, one, but two, God also, he hates gossip. And again, to think, so why is that? Well, again, to go to Satan, the, the most evil being in the, in the scriptures, Satan's not just called a liar and a deceiver, he's also called an accuser. He accuses. And ultimately, all gossip or all speaking about another person when they're not in the room, it's all accusation. It's all judgment. It's all me putting myself into the place of God and determining when someone else is not in the room, what they were thinking, what their intentions were, what they meant. And Christians, let me, I'm just going to be real. In the church, Christians can, we are the worst at this. And some of it's because it's like, well, I got I to gotta know to pray, right? Like, if I don't have all the information, I can't. It's like, listen, you do not need information to pray because God already has the information. So you don't need to, like, you don't need to ask the questions. You don't need to push in further. You don't need to get the backstory. Um, you can pray all of those things without, because God doesn't need to know. He, actually, God does not need us as his informers. He already knows. And more than that, there are very few communities, and again, most of my community comes within the church. It's not, you know, I play on sports teams, non-Christian communities as well, so, but most of my community comes from within the church. But I'm always amazed at how, how we are so easily able to turn with a judgmental eye towards another brother or sister in Christ and never speak to them. And gossip, and the gossip and line, they kill. They kill community, they kill relationships, they kill marriages, they kill friendships, they kill parent-child relationships. These things kill, which is why Proverbs says, the power of death and life is in the tongues. You can either be the guy at the Chicago Marathon yelling out ball with a beard your whole life, speaking encouragement, a reservoir giving life to those around you, or, or we become killers of people and reputations and community. And so the question is, how, how do you know whether or not your words are killing or they're, they're a gift or they're a grave? Because one of the tension points here is that there are times as Christians we're actually we're called to speak hard things to other people. Right? None of what I'm saying right now is that you should never say hard to anything else. No, like God is a God of truth, which, and sometimes the truth bites and it hurts. And so the, how do we discern when, it's, when we're, it's about us and when, when, when it's a grave and it's killing and when it's a, a, a gift? And I think that's hard, but I think... The way I would help us here is you think about our speech, or as we think about our speech, um, something is always a gift when it's like the other person is totally the focus. It's not you, right? So think of it like this. If this Christmas uh, I was to, to you know, wrap something up for Misty and give her a gift, and she opens it up on Christmas Day, and it's, it's tickets to Cubs games next year. Um, that, is, that is a gift for me. <laughs> that is not a gift for her. That's a gift for me, right? And so... I can, I can call that a gift, right? I can say, you're welcome, 
this will be fun, and yeah, we'll have a good time together, but that's, that is for me, not for her. And, and when you speak, when you, and especially when you say something hard, and especially when you say hard to someone else, that's the question, are you speaking for you or for them? Are you trying to give a gift? Whether they open it or not, whether they receive it or not, and if they don't, that's fine, like it's, that's on them, you can move on. Or uh, is it for you? I've got, I got to get something off my chest. I got something I got to say. I got something that's been brewing. Right? Is, it, is it for them or is it for you? And so those are the three choices we have. Our, our words, they should be from a reservoir of well-intentioned uh, capacity to give life. Our words will show either we're angry or we're attentive. And our words finally will be a gift and give life to those around us or they will, they'll drag others down and kill them. So those are the three choices, so two practices, two new ways to learn how to speak better. And, and the first is, and this is a religious word, but let me unpack it. First is we need a new liturgy. And what I mean by that is, is the reason why lying is so common or gossip is so common or, or, or speaking harmful things is so common to us. And listen, I, I don't think I have to make this case, uh, but the reality, like this week, I, I could give you a dozen examples of me or someone else who just something flew out of their mouth and they, they would do anything to take it back. It's like it happened all, it happened all, and maybe it was just God, like, maybe I was just more attentive to that this week because I was preaching on this, but it's just me and others, this all over the place. And so we, like, we need a new way of being so that that's not true of us. And when I say new liturgy, what I mean is we, we have all learned habits and rhythms and practices that mean we fly off the handle. We speak before we think. We, we give out death with our speech and not, not life. And here's what I would say. The habits and practices and rhythms that we have learned and we innate, that, that we engage in that I think encourage this in us first is, I mean, it's social media, right? Like if there was a place that ever said, you just say whatever you think and who cares what it does to other people or what, what happens after you speak, like that's social media. Or even social media encourages us to curate our lives, to look a particular way, to, to be a particular way, right? To, to obfuscate the truth. So social media encourages us in this. We've got gossip magazines all around us where we pry into the lives of, of personal lives of people we don't know, and that we're not around, and we, we enjoy, and we, we buy, and we spend to, to get into people's lives. Like, that's just, these are habits encouraged in us. Um, thirdly and finally, the, the kind of the, um, the outrage cycle of, of um, just the way our news networks function now, which is always say everything on your mind. And, and if you can say an even more outrageous thing than you said last week, do that. Because then you'll garner attention and followers and and, and people's uh, focus. And so we, we just live in a culture in so many different ways is saying, always say everything that's on your mind at all times. And the Proverbs say no. And so we need new rhythms and, and habits. And I would encourage you, I, I started this yesterday, um, after this week, um, I'm taking 30 days off social media. And not because it's, it's not, social media is not inherently evil, but it encourages these things in me. And I'm, step, I'm stepping out for a season. Secondly, uh, I would encourage you, practice the discipline of not having the last word. When you're in an argument, you're in a disagreement, and you, you've got the perfect finisher, right? Like the closer, right? Like if this, was, if this was law and order, this would be the thing where everyone would know who's guilty. Now, you've got it, right? Don't say it. Next time. Practice the discipline of not having the last word. And thirdly, I, like the... 
This is why Sunday morning is, is so important, why worship is so important, because so much of what we do here is encouraging better, better speech. And so think, think about it this way. We didn't do this this morning, but a lot of weeks we do a confession of sin moment, which is I'm going to speak the way I'm broken. Right? We love to speak the way other people are broken, but I'm going I'm to confess before God. I'm going to speak that I am, I am a sinner. This entire morning is about giving thanksgiving to God. I think it's really hard for our tongue to speak death when we, so much of our, our speech is, is thanksgiving, is praise to God is thanking him, is, is speaking from a place, uh, like we said last week, of overflowing because of what God has poured into to us. And then, of course, like hopefully the gospel, as we hear the good news of Jesus spoken over us, we, we don't have to lie or obfuscate or gossip, any of those things, because we're, we rest secure in Jesus and his love for us. And that's the defining characteristic of our life, which changes our speech, changes what we have to say, what we might say, and it, it allows us, frankly, to not say a lot of things. So we need new habits, right? We need new rhythms, new liturgy, new practices to encourage the, uh, us in this. And then secondly, we need, we need a new language. And you think about this, like the way we all uh, learn language, and I'm, I've done this now with three kids. I have a six, a four, and a two-year-old. The way kids learn language, babies learn language, is you, just, you, you say sounds to them, and they just regurgitate the sounds back at you. Oftentimes, they don't sound anything like the sound that you just made to them. But they're trying. Like they're trying to, you know, to get that back. So when Micah was younger uh, and he ate pretzels, he called pretzels penance. And we just learned. Like, pen- and eventually, now he says pretzels. He's four. But it took him a while. We'd speak the word. He'd regurgitate something very different back at us. Because he's, he's hearing and he's, he's, he's getting back. And what I want to say, the reason why... Gossip is hard for us. Lying is hard for us. Why we just fire off at the mouth is because we live in a culture that has taught us that as a language. It's taught, that's how you live in this world. That's how you speak in this world. And I, like, I, let's get rid of that. Like, we, need to, we need to go back to, you know, Micah at two years old, penance is pretzel. We need to go back to the beginning. And the way you do that, the way you learn a new language is, is to make, make Scripture memory a part of your life. And here's why. The people, some of uh, whom are in this room right now, the people who I know who have the best speech, who I've, I have literally never heard anything out of their mouth that's been death, even when they've said hard things, they can be talking and all of a sudden Scripture just comes out. Right? You're in a conversation, and then there's, they're, pre- they're almost preaching at you because Scripture's flowing out of their mouth. And if, if you... If you Go back to the beginning and let God speak truth into your life. And scripture becomes the defining language for you. It's really hard to speak death. So we need a new language. We need a new liturgy. Um, and, but here's the thing. All, none of us in this room, no one enjoys gossip. Like when you really get down to it, right? When the moment comes and you know you've hurt someone else. Or you've sown discord. Or the mo- like the moment comes, like you know, oh, that's not true. Like, yeah. No one likes that. We all, I think this is something that I think we feel, like I felt with my friend Brian in that moment. We, I think we all feel, and probably many of you are feeling that right, right now. And, and so the question, hey, listen, memorize scripture all you want, come to church more, all that stuff will help. But ultimately, like, why is this so hard to stop? Why are our words not a reservoir and a whitewater rapid flowing out, drowning whoever's in our, in our way? Why is it that our speech re- reveals this anger within us? Why is it that our words often kill and don't give, give life? Like, why can't we be that, the marathon guy, just yelling out, ball with a beard for our life? Why can't we be that guy? And Jesus was clear on this. He said, out of, out of the overflow of your heart, the mouth speaks. 
And that means if my mouth speaks death, I have death in me. And here's the thing, Jesus, he never spoke death to anyone. doesn't mean he didn't say hard things. It doesn't mean he didn't say some really hard things. He did. He was truthful, right? Because what I'm not saying is that God doesn't care about the truth and he just wants to be nice. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus spoke really hard truths to people, but he never spoke death. And the moment people put him on a cross and mocked him and murdered him innocently, the words out of his mouth were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, and it is finished. Speaking to the fact that he was forgiving them and the work of his cross and making salvation available to the people who were killing him, that work is now over, right? He's, I'm not holding this against you. Grace is available through me. And so if you and I want to have words of mercy and patience and kindness and truth and life, Jesus is the only way to have him reshape our hearts so that what comes out is him, is life. And that's the kind of community we want to be, right? We Listen, a lot of people are, are wary, outside the church, a lot of people are wary of churches because they fear judgment. And they fear, uh, they fear being looked down on or condescended to. And what if... What if what if our church was more like the Chicago Marathon? People yelling out encouragement, press on, keep going. And yes, there are moments when you got to say, listen, we got to speak truth. This is hard. i got to say something. But it's for you. It's not for me. And our words were about pushing people forward, seeing them become more like Christ. Our words were always for those around us and never for ourselves. And the only way that will ever be true for us is if we come to Jesus repeatedly and let him teach us how to speak, to let him replace our hearts of death with words of life. Let's pray. Uh, Father, dwelling in the Proverbs this week and just preaching that sermon, God, I just recognize how far I still have to go. Um, and God, I can just think of examples this week where I, I went and, and things came out of my mouth that I just wanted to grab back immediately. And, and so God, one, I'm, I'm grateful that um, Proverbs reveal this a better way and the truth of, of the ways we, we harm ourselves with our speech. But God, I'm more than anything grateful for the forgiveness and mercy available at, at the cross. And we can all come with our hearts of death that speak out things we we wish we could take back. God, things that maybe have undone relationships or undone um, jobs or undone meaningful people that we know and and, and God have put walls between us. Lord, we we need healing from that. And God, we, we just stand amazed in awe of Jesus who, as he was crucified for our sins, announced forgiveness, announced the finished work. We don't have to come and earn this place in front of you, but we can come and seek healing, all of grace because of Jesus. And so, Lord, as we as we as we sing, as we take communion now, would you begin? Would you begin to heal us, God? Heal our speech, heal our hearts, that we would choose life with our words. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen.